0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And we'll look at this passage which deals with the reality and our readiness and the call for us to be ready for the return of Christ. We're going to spend two weeks looking at this chapter 13 because there's so much in here that we want to address. This week, if you will, we're going to take kind of the view from 30,000 feet. Uh, really the, the central and most important realities. And then next week we want to come back and look at, uh, if we're looking this week at the reality of Jesus' return and our readiness for it, next week we want to look at the signs and scenarios related to Jesus' return in this passage. So we won't read the whole chapter this morning. We're going to go verses 1 through 13 and then pick up at verse uh, 21 and, and read to the, to, to the end. But as we do, I want you to meditate particularly. There's a lot in here. Meditate particularly on what it says about the reality of Jesus' return and the call for us to be ready. So I invite you to stand with me. I'll read aloud as you read along uh, silently. Uh, Mark chapter 13, be- beginning in verse 1. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, uh, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial to deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you ought to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jump with me to verse 21. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or Look, there he is. Do not believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven from the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as its branches branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves you know that summer is near So, also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that hour or that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the the cock crows, or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Oh, Father, we ask that you would bless our time as we seek to look into these matters of your word and understand the reality of the things you've described here. And, oh, Lord, Make us ready. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had the opportunity to make two interesting observations this week at two different occasions. One was uh, my older boys, the three older ones, first swim team meet on Tuesday evening The next was the Olympic, I think it was, qualifying track and field, or one of the qualifying track and field events that took place on Saturday that I tuned into for a few minutes. On Tuesday night, I went to the boys' uh, meet and happened to get drafted into the role of being the person who gauges who finished uh, first, second, third in each of the competitions. Believe it or not, in this, uh, what looks relatively simple, uh, children's swimming competition, there's all these different age ranges. You've got boys, you've got girls, you've got all the different swim strokes. And so there I was right on the front line to observe all of this. It's an interesting thing to watch, particularly those six, seven-year-olds, when it's time to get ready for their swim competition that they've been preparing for in practice. They've been, you know, been getting ready to swim. They get up there on the blocks. They have to kind of show them how to get up on the standing blocks. The, the, the person starting the race is off to the side, and he says, take your mark. And the, the kids just kind of, you know, do, do one of these, kind of standing around right here. Maybe one of them kind of knows what's going on and tries to get in some sort of diving position. The guy says, get set. And really, nothing new happens. They still stand there in the same sort of position. And then they blow the whistle or shoot the gun or sound the buzzer, and the series of belly flops ensues. (laughs) You know, one kid realizes it's time to go. They land in all different order. They're not really ready for the race. They don't really understand the reality of what's involved in the race. Saturday, got to tune in for a couple of minutes. I think it was yesterday afternoon. And and saw a little bit of this Olympic track competition. I just watched the 100-meter dash. I happened to tune in to that part of it. And, um, And they had the guy Tyson Gay was running. Really interesting. Tyson, they told us about eight or nine times, had not run a competitive race, had not competed in the 100 meters or any other kind of dash, in almost an entire year. But, of course, he's run before. He's familiar with racing. He's a highly trained racer. He'd had a hip injury or something that had kept him from running. So this was his first race back into things. Anticipation. What's going to happen? little different picture when those guys line up in the blocks, the eight or nine runners across the line. The guy says, You know, get your marks. And they all have a very precise routine of putting their feet back and getting their feet precisely positioned. Their back and shoulders kind of beginning to arch up. He says, get set. And it's like a a robot of machines. The, The men all rise up in perfect order and then go. Off like a shot. Tyson Gay, having not run for a year again. Blast ahead of the entire pack and hits that coveted 10 second mark as if he hadn't missed a beat. He was familiar with the reality of racing, and so he knew what it was to be ready when that gun fired off. So we look at these verses today. And think about I know there's a lot of details that I read about in here, but we think about these two main themes that I want us to get 30,000foot view today. Next week, we'll get into more of the specifics. the reality and the call for us to be ready for Jesus' return are crystal clear here. And yet those aren't regular things for my life. I don't know. Uh, ask yourself, well, honestly, other than when you heard this morning or looked at the passage for this morning a little bit, uh, when is the last time you thought about Jesus coming back? When's the last time? I was thinking about it the other morning. I, was, I like to go over to the little pool across from our house when I can a couple mornings a week, 6, 15 or so, get a swim in. And I was thinking as I was swimming, do I believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. While I'm over there in the swimming pool. He could come back. Do I have that kind of belief in his return? A couple things keep us from thinking about this. We could probably name a lot. Uh, one of them is just, you know, the kingdom we've got going on down here in the world for uh, most of us, a lot of us, is in a lot of ways going along pretty good. We enjoy a lot of blessings and benefits materially in this world. So there's not a whole lot of incentive to think about or long for or consider Jesus coming back. That certainly is one thing that handicaps us. Maybe if you've watched a little bit of Discovery Channel, a little history channel, had some college religion classes or whatever, you may even be at a deeper level. You may have some questions about Is Jesus actually going to return? Is that a literal thing? It's pretty clear from our passage here, but those could be some things in your mind. Uh, The other thing is, regardless of either of those first two things, uh, all of us probably realize as we read these verses, you know, it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus said, get ready. So it seems like it's been a while. Should we really expect that it's going to happen any time soon. Kind of tough to expect it that way. Uh, One other component that's interesting, too, about these verses that I just want to speak to is it's, it's fascinating, sort of as an aside, it's fascinating that one of the things that Jesus tells us here is to be on our guard against false teaching, false messages, false prophets. And one of the things that the Christian church is historically, and even today, most commonly get worked up about and get false teaching and false prophets about is Jesus' return. Isn't it an irony that that's the thing that he tells us specifically to guard against, and it's probably the number one thing that drives some of our fanciful, non-biblical thinking. So let's take a look at the reality of Jesus' return and our readiness for it. I want to take you through just a few biblical passages. I think I've got most of them listed in your worship guide. And if you want to follow along, you can. The main idea of our passage is just that the return of Jesus is absolutely a reality according to this book and that we should live, therefore, each day in readiness for him. That's the posture we're supposed to, to lead our lives through. Take a look at some of those verses about the reality of Jesus' return. Uh, ignore the Matthew 14 one. That was a typo. That uh, doesn't even exist, that verse. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 27, says this. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Luke twelve thirty seven: Blessed are those servants whom the Master find a, finds awake when he comes. I just want to... I'm reading through these, so I want to see, want you to see, it's all over the Bible, this reality. John fourteen three, one of those passages we may hear at funerals and so forth. Listen to what it says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself. Men of Galilee, Acts 1:11, it says, "Why do you stand looking into heaven?" They were asked the disciples. This Jesus who's been taking up from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him taken. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows when the thief in the night is going to come. Otherwise, you'd get ready and catch him. It's a surprise. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says that he'll come and specifically that he'll bring all things to light. When he comes, Titus 2.13 says that we're waiting for the blessed hope. What is that hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8 reminds us of this colossal reality that through human sin, all of creation has fallen so that actually all of creation in some way, the plants, the animals, the world, is groaning, waiting for. For Jesus to return, so that the world itself can be restored. Hebrews nine twenty-eight. So Christ, having been offered once to bear sins, will appear a second time. Why? Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Beloved, it says in 1 John 3, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. When's that going to happen? When are we going to reach the fulfillment of who we're called to be in Christ? When he appears, we shall be like him. And then Revelation 22, 20, one verse shy of the last verse in the Bible, says, Surely I am coming soon, soon. You know, when we recognize this reality, we realize that we're living in this in between time where Jesus is at work in our world, and yet we're waiting for the fullness of what's going to happen when he comes. I've had the privilege to go on a number of mission trips. Uh, one of the places I went several times was Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And it, it's a remarkable city, very old uh, city has the problems that you would imagine of any city, uh, particularly cities that I've visited in Latin America. You can see on the street by the thousands, literally, little children wandering around with little bags of industrial glue that they sniff to try to drown out the pain, the agony of their empty stomachs, of whatever abuse or whatever life has led them to be on the streets, the government. Even the churches, certainly the businesses, all seem to be paralyzed. And as we went on those mission trips there, it would be on the one hand depressing, sobering to see that, to say the least. And yet there's an interesting thing about Tegucigalpa. Up on the mountain, high above the city, so that everyone can see, stands a massive statue of Jesus Christ. Arms outstretched, symbolizing love, symbolizing care for the city. And it's a stark picture. Just like it's a stark picture to look at our lives, to look at the brokenness that we do deal with in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and to contrast that with the reality that we know Christ is here in some way. His kingdom is is growing, is expanding, and yet the evil one is at work as well. And the fulfillment of his kingdom is still off in the distance. It's a tough thing to live in that in-between time. But it's also a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because as believers then, we're always looking forward. I like what Mark Buchanan says, and I put it down in your worship guide if you want to Read again there on one of the last pages in your worship guide. He says this, Our future, who we are becoming, where we are going, matters more than our past. Where and who we have been. Our future has more power to name us and define us than our past. Consummation swallows up origins. Destiny, not history, is the ultimate ground of our identity. And then in case we don't believe it, listen to his examples from Scripture. How does a prostitute named Rahab, a Moabite outsider named Ruth, an incestuous schemer named Tamar, and an adulteress named Bathsheba end up in the birth line of Jesus? Because in God's economy... The person we become or are becoming, I would say, not the person we have been, is the person we truly are. So too for our world. The world we're in, the world we've experienced, is not the world that is to be. And so we look forward to this. Reality of Jesus' return. And again, I just ask us today, do you believe in the reality of of the return of Jesus. And how does that inform day-to-day, walking in this in-between, this already already experiencing some of God's work in His kingdom, but there's not yet where we find ourselves. One of the ways Jesus tells us it informs that, it shapes our life, is for us to be in a posture of readiness at all times. It's all over our passage today, and really in two ways. There's sort of a readiness described here, a readiness of preparedness, and a readiness of protection. Let me just mention a couple of the verses if you want to look back with me there at Mark chapter 13, verse 9. Be on your guard, it says. Verse 23, be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake. Verse 35, therefore stay awake. Verse 36, it says the same thing, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Verse 37, I said it before, I will saying it again. Stay awake. Be ready. A readiness of preparation. It also talks about a readiness of protection. Look back with me at verse 5. See that no one leads you astray. Be protected in that way. Verse 6, many will come in my name, saying, I am he. They will lead astray. Verse 21, and then anyone who says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe. False Christ and false prophets will arise to lead astray, if possible, the elect. There's a preparedness, a protection, preparedness. Let's talk about the preparedness part of that for a minute. Uh, Some of us here... Maybe work in the medical profession, or we've all probably got some friends who do, and they have this thing maybe, you know, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once every six weeks, where there's a weekend that they're on call. It's interesting, uh, friends and folks that I know, doctors and whatnot, that are on call, it's not like for that weekend that they just completely uh, huddle up and don't do anything they kind of got to stay close to town because they're on call, but they can still go out to eat. They can still go cut the lawn, can go over to the pool maybe even, can rest and so forth. But the reality is that they're on call. And so they have to constantly be mindful wherever they are, whatever they're doing, to be ready to go if they need to go, to have the pager nearby. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but as I read this Mark 13, it's just telling every single one of us that we're on call as believers all the time. Not to go do something for Jesus, but to be ready to receive Jesus. That kind of readiness is what we're invited to here. That offers up for me an interesting question, because it's hard to be ready for something all the time right that's a tough thing in fact you might ask this question doesn't this leave us in the very uncomfortable place of having to wait for something that we don't know if it's coming this afternoon a year from now or after our lifetime that's kind of uncomfortable how are we going to do that You'll see again in your worship guide, Oswald Chambers speaks to that from his daily devotional. I found this, my utmost for his highest. He talks about how it's actually a beautiful thing to live in that state of readiness, even if it makes us uncomfortable. He says, naturally, we're inclined to be so mathematical and calculating that we look upon uncertainty as a bad thing. Certainty is the mark of the common sense life. But he says gracious uncertainty is the mark of the spiritual life. To be certain of God means that we're uncertain in all of our ways. We do not know what a day may bring forth. This we generally say with a sigh of sadness. He says, but it should be rather said with an expression of breathless Expectation Breathless expectation Beautiful thing It would be for us To awaken each day And not just think about all the stuff We have going on The tasks we need to handle or manage But to have at least one of the things That we're thinking about and meditating on Is being ready For Jesus to come Looking for that to happen Even today well, it talks about a readiness of preparation. I'll say one more thing about a readiness of protection, and then I'll share a story to conclude our time. This readiness of protection is a little bit different thing. Uh, verse twenty-one, I just read about, read it. I've read it several times. Uh, it says to you, "Look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is." Do not believe it. Do not believe it. Sometimes we think that in order to be people of faith, we have to be credulous people folks that are easily duped that's not what Jesus says at all being ready for Jesus's return doesn't mean that we're ready to jump at any false message about Jesus and it's not really as complicated as everybody wants to make it how is Jesus's return going to be told in scripture one it's going to be personal it's Jesus coming not somebody else it's Jesus coming Revelation 1.7 says every eye will see him. We're all going to see it when it comes. And then it's going to be glorious. Think just for a minute about the parallel. The Old Testament Isaiah reminds us that he comes bruised, broken, one whom men uh, don't esteem much. That's his, his first coming is a coming of humiliation, if you will. His second coming, we're told, is Glorious says in Matthew 24:30 coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory if you're familiar with the events of World War II and I think I've shared uh, some of this in the in the past uh, so you may be familiar with this uh, particular story but you'll know that at the beginning of World War II uh, America was not just unprepared to fight our enemies in the Pearl Harbor area, but all over the world. And actually, one of the saddest and most difficult places was in the Philippines. You remember, if you know any of that history, that 100,000 American troops were there, but they were very poorly equipped. In fact, had old bolt-action single-shot rifles left over from World War I that's what most of the soldiers had very little ammunition very little supplies the general in that region who of course became famous through the world through the war douglas macarthur uh, declared famously as he had to leave and abandon those troops i shall return i shall return it took A number of years. And in those number of years, of course, many of those troops on the Philippines uh, surrendered, pretty much all of them, along with the Filipino uh, soldiers who were fighting with them, taken to numerous camps. Difficult time. Brutal signs, if you will, of the times for them going on. Suffering, starvation, disease for them in these camps. And then, years later... At a point, I'm sure they weren't exactly expecting. They maybe had given themselves over to be in these camps forever. The Allied forces began to make their way into the Philippines. And as that line of troops advanced, they heard the shocking news that behind enemy lines, the Japanese were killing all the captured soldiers at the various camps. And they decided they needed to do something about it. The movie The Great Raid, which is based on the book Ghost Soldiers, tells the account of one of these raids on the Cabana Tawan prisoner camp under the command of Robert Prince, sent in to rescue. He took 400 soldiers. They had to make a 30-mile journey on foot behind enemy lines to get to this camp, gathered in the uh, brush around the camp and looked out across the 200 yards of shallow grass surrounding the camp where 500 Allied soldiers were captured and about 500 Japanese troops heavily armed including tanks, were guarding the facility. They had called in an Army P-61 Black Widow airplane to fly over the camp to accomplish two things. One, to announce to all the soldiers in prison there that they should be ready that the Allied troops were coming and they saw that sign and saw that they needed to be ready for that escape and, two, to cleverly distract the Japanese soldiers so that 400 American soldiers could climb on their elbows across that 200 yards of grass and be in position for what ended up being a flawless raid, rescuing all but one of the 511 Soldiers there, killing some 500 of the enemy soldiers and only losing two of the American troops. The rescue took place. They understood the reality of it, they were in a place of being ready for it. The Japanese. But uh, battalions were stationed just a few miles away. So as the troops came in to rescue them, they knew that they had to get out quickly. They had to be ready to escape. So We think today about our belief in the reality of Jesus coming, that he's coming back to rescue us and about the call for us to be ready. It's on the one hand, a challenging thing each day. To look at our lives and realize in our sin and in the areas where we're turning away from the Lord that Jesus may come at any time. What if I met Him today doing this? What if I met Him today thinking this? He's coming soon. It'll shape our lives that way. It's convicting. It also shapes our lives, as I said earlier, with tremendous hope and expectation to say what a beautiful thing that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to restore me, to restore this whole world, to bring us all into his heavenly kingdom. What a beautiful reality. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that the Lord Jesus is returning for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would equip us each day to walk in a posture of readiness. Not be idle, to not be asleep to this reality. Have eyes wide open, Lord, to you. Lord Jesus, certainly to the work that you are doing in building your kingdom now. And Lord, also eyes focused on what you will do in the future Lord, let us be ready today if we walk out of this place and you return now. Lord, let us be ready in a year. Let us be ready in 25 years. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.